Late Night City, Beyond the Dark. You know we love talking to Liverpool people all over the world. This gentleman's jumped a train and joined us in the studio, which is really nice. We're saying hello to uh, Ian McKinney, and we'll tell you in a second what it's all about. You're from Liverpool originally. Yeah, I was born and bred here. I was from my mum and dad and, you know, generations before. But I haven't lived in Liverpool since the late 70s, early 80s. I went away to uni and then lived in Essex. And then at the moment, I, I live in Shropshire. And, uh, nice part of the world. It's lovely, yeah. So I, I'd only really been coming back to Liverpool to, to see my family over the years and never really spent any time in the city. And then about three, four years ago, uh, I had the opportunity to come up every weekend for about six months and sort of fell in love with the city again, really. Um, I've always written short stories, but I've never really had the nerve to write a novel. And... When I was a kid, I used to spend all my time wandering around Liverpool. I was fascinated by buildings and the history. And when I came up again and started wandering again, I realised how much things had changed, but how much things were still the same. Um, buildings I can remember in their in their old use had suddenly been reinvented with a new life. And I had this little short story I'd written ages ago about a sort of reluctant vampire. And... <laughs> <laughs> And I just suddenly thought, if you were 200 years old and you came back to Liverpool and you remembered Liverpool in the 19th century, how would it feel to you now? You know, if you went to Albert Dock and it's now a tourist attraction and you remembered it with sailing ships and, you know, you went to, say, the Bridewell in Dale Street, which is now a hotel and remember that as a prison. And Just stopping you there. What yeah. a great slant. I'm, I'm not, now, I, I don't watch horror movies. Yeah. That's the one thing I don't watch because yeah. I've got a vivid imagination. But... From what I've heard, no one's ever done that. So you do come back, but you never see, you know, well, things have changed. There's a parking meter or... Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, I love the idea. Now, where did Scouse Gothic come from? Where, I, I mean, think it's the because title. the book itself... When I, when I wrote the book, it was... A, all my books have got subtitles, and the original title of the book was the subtitle now, which is The Pool of Life and Death, which was a play on Liverpool being the pool of life and because it was about a vampire and death. And... I suddenly realised I needed something a bit snappier. And when I was talking to somebody, they said, well, really, what you've written is a gothic novel. And I, I thought, I'd never really thought of it as being a gothic novel. But I thought, well, you couldn't have sort of Liverpool gothic. It sounded strange, but Scouse gothic sounded a bit irreverent. And, and the tone of the book, I like to think, is quite funny. So I wanted a title that tried to reflect that it wasn't taking itself too seriously. And I've always been proud to be a Scouser and thought that that was just a nice way in, that he's somebody who's seen Liverpool over the centuries, and while he's in Liverpool, he meets a modern-day female Scouse vampire who's called Cheryl Malone, and she's typical sort of, you know, fake tan and big curl, big rollers and designer, you know, designer nails and things, and he's very sort of a bit dour and a bit sort of 19th century, and I thought they made an odd couple... And it just, it just sparked this. How long have you had this idea? I've had the, the the actual short story, which the the Melville character, who's the main character, the vampire, came from. I probably wrote about four or five years ago, but it was only a couple of thousand words. And it was just when I was wandering around and I saw all these old buildings in Liverpool and saw how much they'd changed. I thought, wouldn't it be amazing to think if you'd lived through that, you know, and you came back and saw it. And he's somebody who's quite 
carries a lot of sort of guilt on his shoulders and he's not very happy about, you know, what his life. And and so consequently he's looking back with regret over people he knew and um and people in Liverpool he knew who were dead. And when he goes to old, you know, haunts of his, it's almost like he expects his old friends to come out the front door. And I thought that would be quite a sad story rather than it just being um he, he's not a conventional vampire. He doesn't have pointy teeth and wings. He's just somebody who, in effect, has, has been infected by a virus and he's got this compulsion to drink blood and he's immortal. But other than that, he's a normal person with normal desires. Is the book gory? I don't think it's gory. You know, I, I don't think there's anything... Um, I mean, some of the reviews I've had have said not that it's, it's gory, but it... it flips from something quite violent to something quite funny and, and sort of back again. and Well, that to me is great writing. Well, people have liked that because no, they've like liked that. the fact that yeah. it's not it's not on one level. You know, you can, you can be, as far as I see, you could be one of the undead and still have a sense of humour, you know. And, and, <laughs> Why not? And, and, Especially um, Scouse. Yeah. A so, Scouse Gothic. So that's how the tone of the yeah. book developed. And then I wrote the first book and got really good reviews from it. And then on the strength of that, I thought, well, actually, I'd grown to love the characters, you know. And so I thought, I've got to, there's got to be more to this than one book. And then the second book came quite quickly. And, well, all of a sudden, I've got a third book. But I've, I've managed to complete the circle with the story. So it all ties up at the end of the third book. You can see where everybody, everything comes from. So is this the last one, the third one? Poss- yeah, at oh, the moment it is. Yeah. Um, but I've left it open that if I wanted to come back and, and re examine it in the future I could um, some of the characters die in the third book but there's others left which I could develop um, and I, I thought it would be strange if somebody who's you know a couple of the characters are supposed to have lived several hundred years and it would seem strange if all their lives played out yeah. in three books you know so so you've left some open tell us what the three titles are under the guise the, of Scouse Gothic the, um, well the first one's The Pool of Life and Death the second one's Blood Brothers and Sisters. And the third one is All You Need Is Blood. And they're all Cracking sort of, titles. well, as you can see, they're all sort of puns. Cracking um, titles. Now, give us a flavour of what the book's about. Um, well, as I said, basically, it starts with Melville coming back to the city. My idea was the fact that you can't really put down roots because people will notice you don't age. And they also notice that people keep on dying. And you can't really have a family life. or So you're constantly on the move. And he's spent 200 years basically moving around the world doing different things and most of the time he's been a soldier fighting in various wars and various armies and he's come back to Liverpool after 100 years he was last here just during the First World War expecting that um, nobody he knew will still be here and what he finds is that city hasn't changed as much as he thought so all of a sudden when he's walking around the streets he sees he keeps on thinking he's seen people he knows, which obviously he hasn't. Or he goes, he goes to um, Abercrombie Square, and he used to knew people who lived there. So he's quite un- unnerved by that experience. And on the back of this, um, while he's disorientated, he he sort of kills somebody. He's somebody who's quite reluctant to be a vampire and doesn't really want to give in to these urges. Um, but on on as a result of that he meets this female vampire called Cheryl Malone. And then the rest of the books are about their sort of, their relationship. But also, they realise that 
all the other there's the stories are about different people yeah. other than the him and Cheryl there's a hitman called Latham who was trying to do his last job in the city who used to work for MI5 there's a chap whose wife has died under suspicious circumstances and he's contemplating suicide until he's visited by an angel disguised as a pigeon <laughs> um <laughs> Sorry, it's, ladies, it, yeah, my it, face is a picture on that it, one. It's not a conventional book. It certainly sounds like it. Now, tell me, your family and friends, are they surprised? Did you ever tell anyone? Was it? I think... Because uh, we, we won't ask your real name, but this is a pseudonym, yeah, yeah. isn't it? It is a pseudonym. Um, I think they've, they've known I've written short stories mm. and that I've got a bit of a quirky sense of humour. So when I started... Because I'd written the short stories, I think people expect if you can write a short story, you can write a book, which isn't really the case, I don't think. But when, once I'd got quite a way through the first book, I think people started to take it seriously. And, and they've really come on board. I've had a lot of... I've, I've given, you know, advanced copies and drafts to various people and got some feedback, and that's enabled me to alter things. Um, but then when I, when I published the books and they went out there, they've been well-received and... Waterstones have taken them on nationally, so you can order them in any Waterstones store in the UK, even though at the moment they're only stocked in Liverpool, Southport and Birmingham. And Blackwells have got them and Foils. And um, and I've had... And they're on Amazon. Kindle sales go quite well, actually. And I've had a lot of sort of unsolicited reviews from people I don't... I've got no idea who these Which people is good, are. And they're the best. They are, because when you suddenly realise yeah. somebody gets yeah. it, you know, as I said, because it's a bit of a strange book, you put it out there and think, people will hate this book. Mm. And then when somebody leaves a review and says they absolutely love it, you suddenly think you've you've done something. I've got to ask Ian, uh, and we have spoke before the interview, mm. so I know about your private life, which mm. we will not ex- talk about on here. Tell me how you felt when somebody put a hard copy of your book in your hand, the first one. Quite shocked, actually. <laughs> I think the biggest shock I had was not actually seeing the hard copy of the book, but seeing it on the shelves in a bookshop. Because somehow that gives you um, legitimacy, I think. You suddenly think, I am an author, you know. Um, and I think I think that was the big shock. It was a big shock to see a bookshop would actually order it and stick it on the shelves and to go in there and look at it and rearrange them on the shelves a bit. Why do you think they did? Because there's so many books out there and you know yourself. I, it's I do, hard yes. to get a deal. Why? I, I think because it's a bit different. I think when you first approach people, if you sort of say, oh, I've written a vampire book about Liverpool, they sort of go, oh, yeah. And then you say, oh, but it's it's not really a vampire book it's it's about a relate it's about relationships but also it's funny and they read the blurb and then they think well hang on it's got an angel in here that's disguised as, as a pigeon and then there's a hitman who's obsessed with food and all he does is think about food when he's waiting to kill somebody and and a little old lady who's planning to murder somebody who she thinks killed her son and they think well it's a bit different it's just not they're expecting capes and fangs and like Bella Lugosi. So I think that's what people have been inspired by. Um, I set everything in the books in, in Liverpool that exists. So if one of my characters comes out a door and turns left, 
what he sees, you'll yeah. go and see if you wander there. Yeah. And I've put maps in all the books so you can. Oh, great! So I I've love got that. I've got, got little. Um, That's I love that. Sorry, sorry, I'll just. Don't worry keep, about it. Basically, there's a map of the city centre. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, it's library <laughs> show, and you can see a map of the city centre, which is really good. Look, there we are. There's the. Town. You are. Yeah, we yeah. are indeed. Here's a bizarre question that you'll never be asked again. Okay. And it's a one-off. Right. And it's just jumped into my mind. When vampires make love, is it just ordinary lovemaking or do the fangs come out and they're into each my, other? My vampires don't have fangs, you see. My vampires... So I, how do they drink the blood? They basically use a knife and right. cut people. Fine, right. um, so so when they're making love... They're just they normal each, people. So they don't just cut each other? No. In, in fact, they're boringly normal, my vampires. I had this idea. But sinister? I don't think they're sinister. I don't think so. I mean, I, I, my idea for the my vampires was that they've been infected by a virus of some sort, and that that in effect, although they've suddenly been made immortal, they're exact. They're sort of frozen in time. So my Melville character is in his early thirties, and he looks upon somebody. He's still in his early thirties, so he still reacts as somebody in their early thirties would be. His girlfriend's twenty-one. So she's very much flighty and what a 21-year-old would be like. But she's never going to change. So it's almost like they're, they're frozen in that moment in time. And if you're a, if you're a horrible person when you're alive, you're going to be a horrible vampire. And they, there are some horrible ones. But these two, they have a different attitude to, towards being a vampire, really. And so I just wanted it to have a sort of cod science element to it. I didn't want the supernatural bit. I wanted it to be yeah. that you just you so believe they're, they're real people. Yeah, they live next door to you. Yeah. Do they have children? They don't. My, my idea was the fact that when you become a vampire, you become sterile. So, but then that means that if you see a young vampire, they've always been young. Mm. So if you've got an adolescent vampire, they're quite dangerous because they're quite well. You know. Yeah. yeah. Ian. As a young boy, yes. did you ever think in your wildest dreams you would write three books about vampires? I didn't, no. I'd never thought I'd write a book at all. And it started off, bizarrely, as a sort of half a bet with a friend. I've had a friend for years and years who's said that he was going to write a book. And I've always said, oh, I don't think I could write a book. And then one night after we'd had probably too much to drink, I said, well... We need to write something. I'll write a short story, and then you write a short story. So I wrote a short story, and then I wrote another short story, and I wrote another short story, and I got hooked. And I think that's it. I think it's... Did you struggle? I asked this to every mm. author. Did you struggle to get it published? Um, I've Basically, I've self-published it. So that publishing side of it wasn't the problem. My problem I've come up against now is that I've got a sort of a, a, quite a big local success. Um, and as I said, Waterstones have taken it on nationally. But it's taking it to the next level that's the difficult thing. Because really, in order to get it to the next level, I need a mainstream publisher. So, you know, it's, it's all very well me putting books in local bookstores and them selling well. But really, I need them to be in every bookstore in the UK. You know, and that's that's what you... And Crave. it's sad that, isn't it? Because it's your talent is a writer and uh, composing these books, the three books um, under the title of Scouse uh, Gothic, 
so you you shouldn't have to do that. No. There's the talent. Yeah. There's the book. I'm the publisher. I'll do the deal. So yeah, that's yeah. the problem, isn't it? It and is. A lot of yeah. people have to put up with it. There is, and and the big publishing houses don't really want to deal with authors. Um, they want to deal with literary agents, yeah. and it's trying to get an agent on board. You know, and I've had some bizarre reactions from agents. Basically, you know, sometimes you get an agent that says, "Oh, I already published somebody who writes in Liverpool," and you think, "Well." What? Well, that, what a think, stupid that's, that's a very statement. very strange attitude. What a stupid statement. Yeah, I mean, somebody once said to me, because when I first brought, wrote the books, or the first book, I did wonder whether there'd be a market for a, a Liverpool vampire book. Mm-hmm. And somebody said to me, yes, but people read Scandinavian thrillers and they've never been to Scandinavia. <laughs> and, and I think there's an element of truth. You know, you don't have to have been brought up in Liverpool mm. to enjoy the books. You know, it's just... And, of course, what keeps coming into my mind is that um, the idea that I could be become a vampire without being bitten through this virus, yes. that, that, that puts a different slant, yes. totally different slant. Because a few of my, well, without giving too much away, yeah. you know, different characters in the book have become vampires in strange, tortuous yeah. routes. Yeah. Um, one chap's injured with shrapnel in the First World War and you assume that somebody who got blown up was a vampire because he you know so oh. I just wanted to have this idea that it's not it's not capes and yeah in the three teeth. books is there a community of vampires it well really the three books revolve around um, Melville and Cheryl Malone as the central and then they're involved in in effect a vendetta with other vampires so the idea is I had this this theory well thought that they're able to sense one another so you can sense if somebody's a vampire so it's it's like being gay and having a gay dog yeah yes (laughs) because i can i can spot a puff a mile away (laughs) yeah but but i wanted to have that idea that they're almost like a secret community that when he meets her in the in the bar it was actually it's um it's a it's a bar in seal street which is quite a famous cuban bar um, because I found out that that originally used to be a church, so I was able Indeed to write. You did. All so the nuns used to live. Yes. Yeah. So I was able to so write. We're talking about Armor de Cuba. We are. Yes. We are so I, I wrote this idea that he'd been there during the American Civil War when it was still a church, and that he goes back there not knowing it's the same building, and he's in there having a drink, and turns around and sees the altar, and suddenly is taken back in time, and then you have the story of the American Civil War. Are these vampires that are frightened of crosses, holy water, no, etc.? No. Oh. And they're not affected Another by slant. They're not affected by sunlight or anything like that. So oh. I wanted to just have it that they are I, because I've had a scientific background, I wanted to have this idea that there's a basically scientific theory behind why they're vampires. So I didn't want the oh I'm frightened of garlic. Yeah. I wanted to be they're just real people you've got this virus and possibly they might be able to, you know, in a later book, yeah. which I haven't written, they might be able to deal with that. But they've also got, they've sort of been given, there's a there's an evil character in the books who's basically being given free reign to be evil because he's suddenly immortal. So he looks upon that as being the best present anybody ever gave him. Yeah. But the Melville character looks upon it as being a curse. So I just wanted to have this the dual side, you know, that you've, you've got, you've been given one thing, but so much has been taken away from you. Fabulous. Um, You're pleased with the books? 
I'm very pleased. And I think in, in many ways, I'm more pleased by the response I've got, you know, because I think it's... I just tend to get very good response for people. You know, I, obviously it's not nationwide or anything, and I haven't... Not I, yet, not yet. No, but, but little, people who get the book, you know, grow. I think people like... So many people say they like it because it doesn't take itself too seriously and that you can have something quite, you know, quite violent, but then there's a joke in it, yeah. you know, and, and that that is why it's called Scouse Gothic as well, because I wanted that irreverence and I wanted the fact that to capture the way the city is, the city is is always is full of humour and also there's, a there's also a violent yeah. element, you know, yeah. so it's it's a hard city, but it always laughs at that mm -hmm. side of it. No, oh, I um, think that's great. What are the book's called? They're called Scouse Gothic. And each title? Um, the Book one is The Pool of Life and Death. Book two is Blood Brothers and Sisters. And book three is All You Need Is Blood. Ian McKinney, fascinating man. Thank you for joining Thank me. Thank you, Pete. It's been lovely.